Wonderful. Um, I'm going to read from 2 Timothy chapter 3. And it's starting at verse 10. I haven't even started. (laughs) Yeah, that normally happens midway through. (laughs) 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10. This is uh, uh, Paul writing to Timothy, who was like a son. He was a father to Timothy, and he writes this. But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured. And out of them all, the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you've learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you've learned them. And that from childhood, you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God, man and woman of God, may be a complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Amen? Well, we're looking at the, we're going through our vision and values as a church and our mission statement, the foundations on which we're building on. And we're looking at the second of the six values, which is biblical truth. Valuing God's word and teaching each other to live as children of God in accordance with it. And I hope you've got our little flyers with the, the mission, uh, the, the values tucked in your Bible, reminding yourself of these values. And it's second of our value, but not second in order or importance. All of them are essential for us as we live for God and as we worship in the spirit and truth. And we've got this well-known text in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. The NIV and other translations have God breathed and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, instruction in righteousness, so that the man of God, the child of God, may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. When you've been on a long car journey, how many of you have played the tunnel game? (laughs) Anyone? It could be just our family. The tunnel game is holding your breath as you go through a tunnel to see how long you can hold it and to see that you don't, you can make it all the way through without passing out. It's not a great idea when you're actually doing the driving. Um, And if you've been on like trips through France and Italy, there are a lot of tunnels. I think we did a family trip and we counted 114 tunnels. That's a lot of holding the breath, although the novelty wore off a little bit. And the question is, how long can you hold your breath? Take a deep breath. (gasps) Hold your breath. (laughs) 
If I had a photograph, <laughs> sorry, you probably breathed out. Um, I'm sure, like, I can probably hold my breath for about 40, 45 seconds. Any, anyone longer? Are there any minutes? Oh, sorry, Heather's just told me that's not very long. Well, okay, I'll work on it. The record, the Guinness Book of Records, get this, it was done by a man called Budimir Sobat. He's a Croatian. And on this year, 27th of March, he broke the record for the longest time breath held voluntary underwater, 24 minutes and 37 seconds. How? Yeah. But you know the thing about it, whether it's 45 seconds, 24 minutes, or anything in between, you have to let your breath out in order to live. It's not natural for us to hold our breath and to keep it in. We're not made to do that. We're made to breathe in and breathe out. To breathe in and breathe out. And you know the, the thing about it is we're made in the image of God. And this is really significant. We worship a God, a living God, who is predetermined in all of creation and creativity for him to let out his living breath for there to be life. The light and the love that is in God has to burst out from him for us to have life, to know him and to be loved by him. And we see this throughout scripture. At the beginning, the way that he breathes out life. In the beginning, God created the heavens, the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the spirit of God, that's the breath of God, was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Breathing out light for there to be light. We see it in this relationship with Israel, breathing out forgiveness. In Isaiah 44, I've swept away your offenses like a cloud. Your sins like the morning mist. Return to me, says the Lord, for I have redeemed you. We see it in the way that he breathes out uh, his word, which is truth and revelation. Isaiah 55, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please and it shall prosper the thing for which I sent it. And we see it ultimately in the life and ministry of Jesus, the living word. As he lived and moved and had his being, breathing out his love, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And all the way through his ministry to the cross, dying on the cross, offering forgiveness. Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. And then rising again. And the way that he appeared to his disciples, he breathed on them, receive the Holy Spirit. All the way through his life and ministry, that breathing in and breathing out life. And Paul is reminding T uh, Timothy in the church in Ephesus, not so much that scripture is God-breathed. You see, Timothy, as a, a, with all his Jewish background, would have known that anyway. What he is reminding Timothy and the church and us is that there is so much more to God's revelation, breathing through scripture and through our Christian experience of him that is profitable to us in terms of doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. And the message to the church 
is keep going. Keep breathing in and out the word of God. In other words, scripture, this book was not to Paul and it should not be to us like a Roman bath, a pool, but a vast ocean that we should be diving into. If you want to, uh, at some point, look at the first nine verses of uh, this chapter three, you'll see the way that Paul has such concerns with what's going on in the church. And the way that some people within the church were watering down God's word and justifying godless behavior on the basis of it. And you see, that has happened all through Christian history. The way that groups and societies and cultures have watered down what God reveals in here, the truth of God's word, just to suit lifestyles, to suit behaviors, to suit traditions or whatever it is we've created. Where the truth of God's word is watered down and the kingdom focus is overlooked. I mean, is it any wonder why so many churches, even today, avoid the tough statements of Jesus and the things that he says to us? One of the things I'm doing in my own kind of Bible reading at the moment is looking at the words of Jesus. Uh, In my Bible, everything he says is in red. And so starting in Matthew, I'm literally looking at all the red bits, kind of looking at the context. But it is amazing, actually. And, you know, just reading what Jesus actually says and the words that he says. It's amazing, but it's challenging. And it shakes foundations. You know, I've read this book many times, but again and again, what you hear and what he says should shake the foundations that we stand on in terms of our own lifestyle and our thoughts and the questions that we have. Jesus says in Matthew 10, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We've heard this many times. It's there for us to take hold of. But then he goes on to say, heal the sick. How many sick people have been healed when I've prayed for them recently? Cleanse the lepers, raise the dead. Cast out demons. Freely you receive, freely give. This is tough stuff. And it's things that we, as the church, need to allow the revelation of his word to change and challenge our lifestyle. We're learning together. You see, what God has revealed in this book is not a nicely, beautifully designed pool For us to swim around in and to feel safe. What he's done in his word is given us the ocean to dive into and to keep diving into whatever the climate and whatever the conditions. You know, over the last couple of decades, you know, the world has got really excited with the expansion of technology But you know, nothing that man has created technologically or in any other way compares to what God has revealed here. And I think we should get excited and more excited with what God reveals here. See, people get excited with technology and the way that it expands and all the things that it does. And, you know, there's there's not a question. It's amazing. 
But how we should be excited when God's revelation speaks to us and expands our understanding of him. I kind of just literally, literally last yesterday, I was just focusing on one word that Jesus says. Go. Now, I, I haven't done this and I will do, but make a research. But there seem to be multiple, multiple times when Jesus uses one word. Go. Go. He says it in healing. Go and your servant will be healed. He says it in the way that he sends us out. And you think when we actually look at one word, there is an ocean of revelation in what Jesus is saying through that one thing. There's so much here. All scripture is God-breathed and is profitable. I know we've got some business people here, but you don't need to be a businessman to realize the benefits of profit. In a city in Ephesus that thrived on commerce and tourism. The Ephesian Christian church understood the importance of this word, prophet. And you see what Paul is saying is really important to us. All scripture that is God breathed, he breathes in and out, is as profitable for us as much in the business world as it is in church. It's profitable for us as much in our homes as it is for us as individuals, as much in our community and culture and society as it is in our own journey of faith. And I suppose, I suppose the question for us is, how many of us use scripture to help us in the workplace? When we have a problem, an issue, when we have to make a decision, how many of us turn to God's word and say, God, will you speak to me through your word about what I need to do in this situation? Or a family situation. You know, see, being good evangelicals, we have a theology that says, of course, the Bible applies to every areas of life. So I'm just smiling. It's lovely people turning up in the middle of while I'm speaking, as opposed to walking out. So welcome. <laughs> <laughs> it's lovely. <laughs> oh <dear. laughs> um, how many of us use the Bible in the different settings that we find ourselves in? God, we need an answer in this. Will you speak? You see, we have a theology that says, yeah, the Bible applies to every area. But so often in practice, our operative theology, it can be a very different matter. And what, what is called situation atheism creeps in. In other words, I've got a problem and I don't trust God enough to give me the answer. I'm going to turn to something else to provide. We have to allow the Holy Spirit to enlarge our thinking about the truth of Scripture. Bill Johnson writes this. We cannot afford to live only in what we understand. Because then we don't grow or progress anymore. We just travel the same familiar roads we've traveled on in our Christian lives or swim in the same pools that we've only ever swam in. He goes on to say, it's important that we expose ourselves to impossibilities that force us to have questions that we cannot answer. 
It's part of the Christian life. That is why the Christian life is called the faith. The normal Christian life is perfectly poised between what we presently understand and the unfolding revelation that comes to us from the realm of mystery. I love that. It's like these balancing scales, the tipping point. That which we presently understand. And yet as we walk in faith, moving into the realm of impossibilities and the revelation that God has for us in every area of life. What we know and yet what there is for us to know in the days to come. And part of that revelation, part of that mystery is the gift of God's word to us. The ocean from heaven that he invites us to dive into. It's profitable in every area of life. It's good for us in every area of life. And Paul goes on to say how it's profitable in doctrine, in the way that it teaches us, in rebuke, correction, instruction. Let me just touch on these four things briefly. It's useful for teaching, for doctrine. I used to love um, teaching. I taught for 10 years as a secondary school teacher in London. And when I think back on that time, you know, the highlights of my teaching is not sta- was not standing in front of a class regurgitating facts and all the rest of it so they pass their exam- exams and do well. You know, when I think back to kind of the special moments, you know, I, I, I think back to classes like the one when I taught the teleological argument, which is an argument from design. I used to teach philosophy. And it was uh, arguments for and against the existence of God. And the teleological argument is all about design. And I thought it would be a really good idea to start this class with a Mexican wave. And there were about 30, 15-year-olds in the class. Um, It's always dangerous to try anything other than, you know, keep things straight. But I thought, okay, we're going to go for a Mexican wave. So I said to them, I'm going to give you an instruction And I want you to, without thinking, act on it straight away. I want you all to do a Mexican wave. They all stood up, desks went everywhere. They did a Mexican wave. There was chaos. At that point, no exaggeration, the headmaster walked into my classroom. (laughs) I said, headmaster, I will explain, but take a seat. This will make sense. Kind of panicking. Oh, my goodness. So chaos kind of got them sat down on the rest of it. I said, right, now I want to put some order to this. Starting left to right, going down in an S-shake in the rows. I want you to do a Mexican wave again, but in order. And they did it. You know, and it was really impressive. And I said, you know, and we started a discussion about chaos and order. Chaos and order in their own lives. Chaos and order that they see in society and in the world. And then we led to, uh, you know, this beautiful world that God has created and designed. And with a smile on his face, the headmaster walked out the classroom. (laughs) With a smile on my face, the headmaster walked out the classroom. (laughs) But you see, teaching, teaching is not about facts, is it? Teaching is not about even like standing here just telling you stuff. Teaching is about lifestyle. Teaching is about walking together. That's why our life groups are so important. Sharing life together, learning together, experiencing things together, the good and the bad and the ugly, all thrown into the mix as we do life together. The best teachers are those that relate the best to the situation and the people. And you see, Jesus says this, go, go, 
and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then he goes on to say this, and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Do you realize you are a teacher? You're as much a teacher as I am. But we teach by the life that we live. We teach by the way we are in the home and in the workplace. We teach by the way that we respond and we react. <laughs> Good and bad, we're all learning. <laughs> but we're all teachers. And you see, when we feed on the word of God and when it nurtures and feeds our hearts and we get hungry for God's word, it changes us inside and out and we teach the people around us what it is to be disciples of Jesus. I think in the classroom they used to have the three R's. Well, in scripture, there are three R's as well. Read the book, rest in his presence and receive the revelation that he has for you. Can I ask a question for us all? Where is the Bible in our home? Where is the Bible at work? If you don't have a Bible at work, it doesn't have to be a big thing. Stick it in your drawer. Put a Bible in the workplace. How much should you be reading it? Well, I think for all of us, we probably should be reading it a little bit more. All scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for teaching. It's also profitable for rebuking. I don't particularly like that word, rebuke. <laughs> Anyone here like to be rebuked? <laughs> no, I don't imagine any of us do. I don't imagine the church in Ephesus like to be rebuked, even by a person like Paul. But if we ever imagine we're beyond it, we're in serious trouble. I think so much of the problems in our society, especially in the West, with society and culture, is as if we believe we're above reproach. We can live our lives any way we want to. It's my life to do with it what I want. You see, the problem with that is it's building on a foundation that's not secure. It's not absolute truth. It becomes relative truth, relative to me. It's not building on rock. It's building on shifting sands because it will always change. You know, when we look at scripture, you know the difference between David and Saul in the Old Testament? Both were kings. Both were anointed by Samuel. The difference is Saul thought he was above the reproach of the Lord that was given to him through revelation. I mean, David messed up as much as Saul, if not more. But he received the revelation and with a repentant heart sought after God his way. And you see, the same is true for us. If we're above reproach, we're a bit like the people that Paul describes in verses one to nine, self-centered, um, you know, just watering down scripture, using it as and when it suits them. But for us, we have to allow scripture to speak into our hearts. We have to allow God to search our hearts, to breathe through his word, to lead us on so that we can follow him in obedience and faith. Then we come to correction very briefly. Uh, this word correction, it's, 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 a, it's a word that really means cutting a straight path. And I love that. You know, we have in scripture pro, uh, Proverbs like Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. 
and lean on, not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. You know, there's so many things out there that cause confusion. So many routes and paths that can lead us astray or even deceive us. And yet what the scripture has for us, it's like this straight path that cuts through the rock that enables us to keep on that narrow path with Jesus. How we need scripture to train us, to rebuke us, to correct us. And then lastly, to instruct us in righteousness. I think actually a better word is training. And training is not about sitting in a classroom or sitting here in a pew, you know, learning um, and discovering. Training the word here is much more hands-on, feet first. It's, it's about movement. It's about motion. You know, if we've ever trained for a, a sport or uh, a marathon, you know, there, there are no shortcuts to the hard work of putting on your training shoes and getting out, even if it's wet and windy, and doing your running and completing that course. You see, right relationship with God, which is righteousness, it takes work. We have to train. We have to be hungry. We have to have that inner desire to keep going, no matter what. And when we pursue, this is what Jeremiah writes, where God says, call to me and I will answer you. And I will show you great and mighty things which you do not know. And what's the fruit of all of this? Well, Paul goes on to say, so that the man of God, the child of God, may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. That sounds like pretty good fruit to me. Complete, thoroughly equipped. We have everything we need to do this life and to live life for Jesus. I love the, the message um, paraphrase of this. It says, through the word, we are put together and shaped up for the tasks God has for us. I don't know about you, but there are times when I feel broken and as if a kind of a pot has been dropped and just shattered. I need putting together. And the Bible, the word of God, along with the Holy Spirit, is the place where the glue sticks, puts us together, and then he shapes us for the task that he has for us so that we can complete the work that he's called us to. We need God's word. All scripture is God-breathed, breathing in and out, and it's profitable for training, for rebuking, for correcting, and instruction in righteousness. And my prayer for each one of us is that we would day by day learn what it is to breathe it in and out more than we've ever done. We would see God's word, not as a nicely contained book, but as a vast ocean where every moment God is inviting us to dive into. And my encouragement is don't hold your breath. Don't hold your breath when it comes to his word. Breathe it out, breathe in. Breathe it out, breathe in. Turn to it. Allow him to speak. 
Let him speak as you breathe out. God, what are you saying to us in this passage? What are you teaching me in this moment? I've got this going on in my life. I need an answer. Will you speak to me through your word? And he will speak and he will answer and he will give you direction. And he will lead you in the way. And I think as a church, as a community, when God's word is, if you like, respected and treated and honored and used in this way. Just like when a a business thrives and it grows and expands. I was reading a bit about um, uh, Amazon and Jeff Bezos and his wealth the other day. uh, And just the expansion and the way that it's grown and grown and grown. You know, again... One man, one business. It'll come and go in time. This lasts. This is far greater than anything anyone can do or offer. It's a vast ocean. And God wants us to breathe it in and out. To give glory to him as we live for him. In our homes and at work in our church, and in our community, and all of it for his glory. Let's stand as we pray. I just want us to take a moment... Just for ourselves, we, I, there's no place for, for guilt or anything like that. I just don't believe in that at all. All of us, myself included, uh, I know should be cherishing God's word more than we do. And I think this is a time probably, well, not more than ever, but certainly this is a time when we, as the church, should be doing that. And in a moment, I'm going to lead us in a prayer where we just ask God's forgiveness for not treating his word in the way that we should. But I just want to encourage us just, you know, as we think about it. You know, if we're not reading his word. It's easy. Get the book and open it. Start with the words of Jesus. And read what he says. And you see, one day leads to the next, to the next. And he feeds you just as much as you feed yourself in the morning and in the evening. Read God's word. And for those of us in the workplace, some of us are environments where, you know, the Christian faith is not respected. And as a Christian, you may have a difficult time. But I imagine all of us have at least a space in the workplace, school or whatever it is that we can call ourselves a locker or something like that. Put your Bible in your locker. Take your Bible to work with you. Place it in the car if you can't do that in a physical sense. You see, what you're saying to the Lord is that it's not just for the home and it's not just for the church. It's for the workplace. It's for wherever I go. That your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. And so, Father, I pray for each one of us that you would increase in us the hunger for your word. 
And Father, we're sorry, I'm sorry, for the way at times I have not respected or honoured or picked it up and read it. And I ask for your forgiveness. And Father, we thank you that in this book, you've given everything that we need. Within these pages, there is an ocean of revelation that you have for us. If only we would open it and look and see. And so I pray that you would teach us as a body, as a church, but teach us as individuals to use your word in every area of our lives, to value your word in every situation that we face, and that we give you permission to train us, to rebuke us, to correct us, to make that straight path for us, to instruct us in how we live right relationship with you, so that we may do that which you called us to, that we may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.